David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.40 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 9th of September. Wow, 9-9-2019. There's probably some kind of numerology in there somewhere. I don't really care. Uh, this may be a, a, a shorter show. I'm not sure exactly yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, let's just jump right into it because dude, BitMEX's chief operating officer basically just got her ass handed to her on a platter. Let's, let's just dive right in. This happened just now, apparently. Angelina Kwan, BitMEX's chief operating officer, has resigned. The BitMEX spokesperson confirmed to the block. Yes, this is the block crypto. I know, I know, I know. It's not thrilled with the direction they're going, but hey, news is news. Quote, we can confirm that Angelina Kwan is leaving the company and is on gardening leave now. That's all we can say on the matter at the moment. But we wish Angelina all the best, end quote, according to the spokesperson. Quan was formerly the managing director and head of regulatory compliance for the Hong Kong Exchange and Clearing. She joined BitMEX in October of 2018. When she joined Quan, uh, when she joined, Quan said in an interview that she would be, quote, responsible for overseeing and driving the company's growth and will guide BitMEX on its mission to offer advanced, innovative financial products for the global cryptocurrency industry, end quote. More recently, BitMEX has had run-ins with U.S. regulatory agencies. In July, Bloomberg reported that the CFTC was investigating the exchange to determine whether it broke rules by allowing U.S. traders onto its platform. It's unclear who would replace Quan as BitMEX's COO. Sorry about that. If you heard a little bit of jingling, that was my kitty who decided to jump up on my desk while I was in, in full swing on this on this. Nice little story here. So gardening leave. I had never heard of that term before. So what WTF is gardening leave? Garden leave, according to Wikipedia, describes the practice whereby an employee leaving a job, having resigned or otherwise had their employment terminated, is instructed to stay away from work during the notice period while still remaining on the payroll. I don't think that's prob that's probably not a good thing for Quan. Uh, I, I mean, that's that's sort of a signal of stay away. It's weird, but you know, I, I like I said, I never heard about gardening leave or garden leave or anything like that. But as I just said, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like they are all too thrilled with her. So I think they basically just handed her her, her ass. Anna Alexandra is writing uh, September the 6th for Cointelegraph. Shell and Sinochem discuss blockchain platform for crude oil. You don't need a blockchain for this. I guarantee it. 
A subsidiary of Chinese oil and chemical giant Sino-Chem Group is reportedly in discussions regarding a blockchain platform with Royal Dutch Shell and Australian financial services for, f- firm Macquarie Group. As Reuters reported on September the 5th, sources familiar with the matter said that Sino-Chem Energy Technology entered into negotiations with the company to examine the development of a blockchain platform for crude oil in July. The planned blockchain-based platform is reportedly dubbed Gateway with a value of 100 million won or roughly $14 million U.S. Sources also revealed that Shell and Macquarie decided to invest in Sinochem Energy Technology itself, further stating, quote, Sinochem Group has set an internal deadline for the technology firm to bring in strategic investors by the end of September or the latest October because the firm is in deep loss, end quote. Gateway is reportedly going to deploy blockchain technology to reduce trade and settlement inefficiencies, improve transparency, and reduce the risk of fraud in the oil industry. Last month, Shell, British Petroleum, and other oil firms were freed from a United States-based fraud lawsuit due to a jurisdiction issue. In the lawsuit, a group of oil futures and derivatives traders alleged that the firms engaged in manipulating foreign markets for Brent crude oil. In July, Shell invested in blockchain-based startup energy startup LO3, which developed a platform for tracking energy with blockchain technology. Shell is planning to convert its investment in LO3's native XRG tokens, which will be used to incentivize the platform and will be required to access the distributed energy grid. Jesus. Uh, that same month, Andrew Bruce, CEO of American blockchain startup Data Gumbo, argued that oil industry players can save at least 30% by implementing blockchain applications such as blockchain-based contract execution instead of in traditional paper contracts. So corporate-level shitcoinery here, yeah, it's it's going to go on for a long time. It's just, you know, get used to it. But the reason that the, the reason I bring it to you is so that you know this, this garbage is still going on where people are still getting fooled into believing that blockchain is their answer. No, it's not. No, it's not. No. It's just not. Apple is observing crypto assets. So this came out like yesterday. Brave New Coin is reporting that uh, or Jennifer Bailey, Apple Pay vice president, spoke to CNN at an event in San Francisco this week. Quote, we think it's interesting. We think it has interesting long term potential potential, said Bailey on cryptocurrencies. The notoriously secretive Apple has long been cagey, even wary of cryptocurrency. However, with Apple now a strong competitor in the payments market, it will be forced to keep up with blockchain developments, especially as competitors, including Facebook, have expressed their intention to enter the market with the Libra. The Libra. (laughs) Bailey's comments follow the release of the Apple Card in August. The Apple Card is a credit card release in collaboration with MasterCard and Goldman Sachs. The Apple Card represents the first major evolution in Apple's consumer payments product offering following the United States release of Apple Pay in 2014. Other leading tech companies are also exploring different crypto ventures. The Square Payments app, headed up by Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, is firmly supporting the Bitcoin ecosystem by enabling seamless Bitcoin purchases. Square is hiring Bitcoin developers to help strengthen the ecosystem. Finally, Bailey was asked why Apple has suggested that Apple Card users should keep it away from other credit cards as well as leather and denim. Quote, we always want it to look perfect, end quote, she said. Oh, God, vanity in the payment sector. Just, just, just kill me now, man. 
uh, Galaxy Digital Gains approval to underwrite public securities offerings. This is Jack Martin writing for Cointelegraph. Michael Novogratz, cryptocurrency investment bank Galaxy Digital, has gained approval from the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA, to underwrite registered public offerings of securities. As reported by Bloomberg on September the 6th, the company has its sights on facilitating security token offerings, or STOs. FINRA is a non-governmental private organization that acts as a self-regulatory body for member firms in exchange markets. Novogratz is a former partner at Goldman Sachs who wants his firm, Galaxy Digital, to fulfill a similar role in the cryptocurrency space. He sees underwriting security uh, securities offerings as a good complement to the company's existing services. Novogratz said, quote, It's a really young industry, and we are a pretty young business. We are sober and patient about how fast it will grow, and we are well capitalized. This feels like a perfect addition, end quote. Whilst Novogratz is aware that businesses could take some time to ramp up, there are already signs of demand for initial public offerings within the cryptocurrency industry. Exchanges like Coinbase have already raised billions of dollars in securities offerings, and mining giant Bitmain seems to have, or to finally have, its beleaguered IPO back on track. According to Bloomberg, as early movers in the cryptocurrency industry mature and start to generate real revenue and profits, it is likely that an increasing number of companies will want to go public. So yes, you know, Coinbase and Bitmain are two companies that I just, I hate hearing their names. Uh, we'll need to, uh, I'll need to look into the, how Bitmain is IPO is, is getting quote unquote back on track. I mean, that thing was, was just such a disaster. Uh, but the disaster of, of everything that Epstein has touched, has touched is coming to the fore. MIT media lab director, Joy Ito steps down over Epstein financing. This is Coindesk's Daniel Palmer writing this morning. Jochi Ito, head of the Media Lab at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, has resigned after it was revealed that he and other Media Lab staff had attempted to conceal financial contributions from convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. The New Yorker reported last Friday that Ito and MIT Media Lab, which hosts a number of innovation programs, including a digital currency initiative, had accepted donations from Epstein, even though the financer was on the university's disqualified donors list and attempted to keep the source of the funds a secret. God, oh, man. Ito had disclosed last Wednesday that he had accepted $525,000 U.S. from Epstein for the lab, as well as $1.2 million for his investment funds. However, the New Yorker published MIT emails sent by Ito that appear to illustrate how he had attempted to veil the donations from the university and the public. After Epstein funded a researcher at the lab, Ito penned one message that said, make sure this gets accounted for as anonymous. Reportedly, the fact that the links to Epstein were widely known in the lab and he was known as Harry Potter villain Voldemort, he must not be named among staff. <laughs> Epstein had also allegedly encouraged other notable figures back to back the lab, including Bill Gates and investor Leon Black. When Gates made a $2 million contribution, Peter Cohn, the lab's then-director of Development and strategy reportedly said in an MIT email, quote, This is a $2 million gift from Bill Gates directed by Jeffrey Epstein for gift recording purposes. We will not be mentioning Jeffrey's name as the impetus for the gift. Oh my God, but you wrote it from your freaking MIT email. Okay, guys, just be aware if you're working for a university, 
especially one that's like taking any kind of government money, then it's kind of like, you know, that all those emails, they're all kept. Even when you leave, I think there, I, I really believe that, that storage is, is such a non-issue anymore that they're going to probably keep your emails forever because there's just no reason to just, I mean, to go through and try to clean stuff up. Now it's possible that they may delete them, but in, in this particular case, the fact that, that the guy wrote this all from the, from an MIT account, email account, I, I, I'm kind of shocked at that level of stupid. This when you're going to do shit like that, that's when you use your own Gmail account. All right. So just be aware people don't, don't, don't do stuff on your like university email account. Okay. It's just, it's just dumb. A spokesperson for Gates denied that Epstein had a role in directing any funding by the Microsoft billionaire. Ito resigned from his role at MIT a day after the New Yorker report. MIT President Rafael Reif said in a message to the MIT community, quote, because the accusations in the story are extremely serious, they demand an immediate, though or thorough and independent investigation. This morning, I asked MIT's general counsel to engage a prominent law firm to design and conduct this process. So they're taking that thing outboard. Wow. Ito is also reported by the New York Times as having stepped down from positions at the MacArthur Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundations, and the New York Times Company, as well as a visiting professorship at Harvard. It's not yet clear if the scandal will affect the operations of labs very of the lab's various programs, including the digital currency initiative. Wow, guys. So yeah, this guy's this guy's career is now over. Nobody's going to touch this dude again. Now, I mean, he, the only thing that he can do is, is go fully private because he's never going to be in a university setting again. Nobody's going to touch him because he has the stank of Epstein on him. So, you know, what does this all mean? I, I am just like, I've seen other people like do weird, you know, weird stuff and get in trouble for it. Like Harvey Weinstein comes to mind. And yet somehow or another, this every everything that Weinstein touches is not just like dying. Everything Epstein touches is dying. It's kind of bizarre. I mean, it, it, you get what you deserve. I mean, I'm not defending the guy by any stretch of the imagination. It just seems odd that all of a sudden this is. I don't know. There's there's something about there, like a change in the environment, a change about the way people are. Maybe it's just that I, what we're seeing is that people are so fed up with the system that the system is actually getting kicked in the balls like it should have been 100 years ago. Right. All right. So Adrian Zmunsky is writing for Cointelegraph. Catalonia announces a decentralized ID system the government won't control. Oh, I don't think so. The Catalan government, Catalan government announced Identicat, a decentralized identity system like Civic. President Quim Tora the, and Minister of Digital Policies and Administration Jordi Pugnero announced the project on Saturday. Local media outlet ViaWeb reported on September the 7th. Notably, the government says it will not have access to the citizens' data. Bullshit. Bullshit. I'm calling it bullshit. The bidding for system development, which is expected to be completed by 2020, will start shortly at 550,000 euros, nearly $607,000. 
Citizens using Identicat will reportedly be able to choose what data they are willing to share with the government and request it to store a portion of it and share it with third parties. The system will reportedly be available both to Catalonia residents and to Catalonians residing abroad that still want to use it. Tora commented on the development, quote, now it's time to lead the digital revolution. <laughs> we speak of an entrepreneurial society that is attentive to social novelties and in- novelties and innovations. The aim of this government is to put people at the center of their policies, also the digital ones, end quote. He also stressed that Catalonia cares about the concept of digital citizenship and blockchain technology in a strong way and claimed that it intends, this just reads like pure butter and, and, and utter bullshit. I'm sorry, but it, it's, it's hard to get past it because I've, we've heard all of this before, even before Bitcoin and any of this stuff. Catalonia cares about X and citizenship and it's, don't buy a single shred of this, okay? I, I in fact, I, I, I'm calling it that it's probably never going to happen. This is probably just another bullshit, bullshit story. All right, Sierra Leone, main, meanwhile, plans to fully adopt a blockchain-enabled national identity system by the end of 2019. Pugnero also commented on the project and the implication he foresees, quote, some will want to question the project because they may be scared to empower people. Let's be a country moving forward because they they know that when we empower people, we are an unstoppable country. The republic we want is one that empowers citizens, not that it controls them, represses them or treats them as digital merchandise, end quote. Lastly, he explained that the system won't be used to identify citizens. Well, then (sighs) instead, he explained that it will be a more private way to access digital services, develop the economy and empower the citizens. As Cointelegraph reported at the end of August, a new partnership between a development bank and non-governmental organization, a non-governmental organization and a tech corporation is eyeing the creation of a blockchain based identity system to improve financial inclusion in Buenos Aires. Okay. Yeah. I don't buy it. That language is just is filled with too much. We care about you. No government has given shit one about its people for so long that we've forgotten what that might be like. It certainly hasn't ever happened in my lifetime. I don't believe this for a second. I don't I, I don't believe their hearts are in the right place. I think it's ridiculous that they're gonna that they have identicat that won't be used to identify citizens. Bullshit. Sorry, Aaron Von Wordham is writing for Bitcoin Magazine's hardware wallets just got a bit more secure with Trezor's Shamir backups. This was on September the 6th. If hardware wallets have one Achilles heel, recovery seeds may be it, but Trezor's Satoshi Labs has figured out a solution. Hardware wallets are generally considered to be among the most secure solutions for storing Bitcoin, as the private keys to sign transactions never leave the device. These keys are never exposed to the internet and can, therefore, not be hacked remotely. Even with physical access to the device, subtracting the keys is no straightforward job. If it's possible at all, this appears to be an ongoing cat-and-mouse game between security researchers. Oh, yeah. I like how Trezor and and Ledger basically play with each other on this kind of thing. But even if we assume that they are secure, hardware wallets can still break, get lost, 
boating accident, get stolen or become otherwise unusable. For these cases, users should keep a backup seed, a list of a couple of dozen words typically written down on a piece of paper from which all the device's private keys can be generated. But what if the backup seed itself gets lost or worse, stolen? A chain is only as strong as its weakest link, and a hardware wallet is only as secure as its backup seed. If the piece of paper is stolen, thief can claim all the coins on the hardware wallet without any advanced technical skills. If the backup seed is lost, it, it is, of course, of no help when the hardware wallet is also lost, stolen, or destroyed, and the coins would be inaccessible forever. After more than a year of development, Prague-based Satoshi Labs, the company behind the Treasure Trezor hardware wallet, has now introduced Shamir backups based on Shamir's secret sharing, a cryptographic algorithm created by well-known cryptographer Adi Shamir, the S in RSA, one of the first public key cryptosystems. Shamir backups let users split up their backup seeds into several word lists or shares. The wallet's private keys can then be recovered by con- combining some predetermined subset of the shares. Satoshi Labs' Shamir backups allow for the creation of up to 16 shares, and individual shares can be div- even further divided into subshares. As a practical example, you could set up a two out of three backup. In that case, you would generate three different word lists and you would need any two of the three to restore your private keys. This way you could, for example, distribute the three lists over three different locations, minimizing the risk that two of them are lost, say in a fire or stolen. If an attacker manages to steal one of the backups, one of the three backup seeds, it would be of no use to them at all, <clears throat> as opposed to cutting a normal backup seed into multiple pieces, stealing some of these pieces would enable the attacker to guess or brute force the remaining words. Meanwhile, if only one of the three shares is lost, the remaining two can be used to restore the wallet. Shamir backups are available for Satoshi's Treasure, Treasure Model T, the company's latest hardware wallet users who already have a Trezor Model T can opt to migrate to a Shamir backup using this guide, and and this guide is actually a link to to go to the guide. New users can follow the regular setup guide. Uh, As an open standard, other wallet providers could opt to follow in Satoshi Labs' footsteps and offer Shamir backups down the road as well. For more information on Shamir backups, see also Satoshi Labs blog post, blah, 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 blah. And that's the end of it. So that's pretty cool. One thing that that b- bugs me about like cutting your your you know 24-word seed or whatever into three and having one of it stolen is not only does the attacker have a chance to brute force the rest of it, more likely the attacker has a reason to get a hold of your ass and not wrench attack your ass, but say, look. I've got part of your key. You can't use it while I have it. You can't recover your shit. Okay. Um, and obviously this is kind of a stretch, but still it's possible that like, like for instance, they got part of your seed and your wallet. And that was the only one you had. They could blackmail you for it because if it's, if your coins are unmovable by you and unmovable by the attacker, the only person that has any kind of real leverage is kind of the attacker. I mean, that's just the way that that is. So yeah, be aware, back up your shit. Um, I hope cold card, uh, does, does this because I like the idea of Shamir secret sharing. It makes sense. It seems simple and we like keeping shit simple. The more layers of, of garbage UX and, and, and difficulty to operate and, and high learning curve uh, entrances, uh, 
is not really the way to go for mass adoption. But being able to do something that is really secure and stupid simple, man, I like that kind of UX. You know, don't make me think about it. I don't want to think that hard. Cointelegraph's Marie Juliet is writing that Norwegian Bitcoin millionaire jumps from balcony to flee armed burglar. This was sometime this morning. The case of an attempted robbery that ended with a cryptocurrency multimillionaire jumping from his second floor balcony will be heard in Norwegian courts next month. Local broadcaster TV2 reported on September, September 8th that the victim was an individual in his 40s who had been in the public spotlight for having made his 100 million and okay, that's their shit coin, uh, about $11.2 million US fortune through his 10 year involvement in the crypto space. According to TV two, the attempted robbery occurred on May the 14th. The would be robber is reported to have entered the victim's housing block and rang directly at his private apartment. When he opened the door, the victim was allegedly confronted with the barrel of the suspect shotgun. The indictment drafted by the Oslo attorney general's office alleged alleges that the suspect threatened his target lie down or I'll shoot. Not a single shot was fired, however, as the victim managed to escape, throwing himself from his balcony onto the street below. It is reportedly unknown whether he was injured during the escape. The defendant's assistant attorney has refused to comment on the matter. While details of the victim's professional life are not reported, he is said to be the general manager and owner of the board at an unnamed business in the cryptocurrency sector. Man, that is weird. Okay. Uh, TV two underscores that he came to public attention for his significant financial success in cryptocurrency. The suspect's lawyer has said his client does not admit the criminal charges contained in the indictment, but has declined to comment any further. The court hearing is set for October the 17th and 18th. As reported earlier this month, five men in an Indian state of Kerala were recently arrested for allegedly torturing the head of a failed $62.5 million U.S. dollars uh, Bitcoin investment scheme to death. Last year, a Russian cryptocurrency investor and blogger was murdered by mass assailants in St. Petersburg after having posted of his crypto-derived wealth online. All of these people have one thing in common. No operational security. None whatsoever. I, I, I do not say how many Satoshis that I have for a reason. I could have two. In fact, I might have lost all two of my Satoshis in a grim and grueling boating accident. And my hardware wallet is probably at the bottom of, of a lake. I'm, it was chilling. It was chilling. I, I barely, I barely made, made it through this grim and ugly boating accident. Don't wear, look, okay, I, a lot of people are making good money making swag. I get it. But guys, if you walk out of your house with a Bitcoin shirt on, you might as well have walked out of the house with a target on your ass. Okay? Think twice. Think twice. In fact, it's, I, I don't know, I don't want to, you know, get anybody all, you know, weirded out or anything like that, but do think twice about the swag that you buy and wear. If you post, you know, what you post about, you know, stuff. I'm, I'm kind of not anymore posting, uh, like Satoshi, uh, uh, stacking sat Saturday stuff, uh, just because it's like, well, this is bad OPSEC. It just, it's operate from an operational security standpoint. 
these are all bad ideas. Wearing swag out in public, uh, posting, you know, like that you've bought like $5,000 worth of Satoshis and, and have completely pa- surpassed your limit on Cash App, you know, that kind of stuff. Just think twice please, because you don't want to end up being tortured to death and you don't want to end up being murdered and you don't want to end up having to flee for your life by jumping from a second story balcony, which will get you killed if you land in any one of a number of ways wrong. So yeah, there you go. China's central bank digital currency undergoes quote, restricted access test. This is written by Vincent He for 8BTC and is featured on Bitcoin Magazine. This was, when was this? Please give me, this September the 6th. A dedicated team from the People's Bank of China Digital Currency Research Lab is now developing the system in a closed-door environment away from the PBOC's downtown Beijing headquarters, according to a report on, from September the 5th, 2019. China's central bank digital currency, the CBDC, has begun a restricted access test to simulate payment scenarios involving, quote, some commercial and non-governmental organizations, end quote. This, the test may be the integration of each module developed for the CBDC in which the outflow and inflow of digital money will form a complete closed loop. On September the 4th, Changcheng Mu, de- deputy director of the Payment and Settlement Department of China's Central Bank opened a public course called FinTech Frontier, Libra, and Digital Currency Prospect, which was the first public lecture given by central bank officials. Meanwhile, an academy of China's central bank located in Shenzhen has begun to recruit a large amount of technical talent in the blockchain area, including a director of trade and financial products, senior economist, and business innovation researcher. By August the 4th, 2019, the Digital Currency Institute of the Central Bank had applied for 74 patents for digital currency. According to its patent application, the upcoming CBDC may function like a cryptocurrency on a point-to-point trading system, but it will strip away the anonymity and decentralization of most cryptocurrencies, which automatically turns it into a shitcoin. Actually, it's even if it didn't, it would be it would still it's still a nation state level shitcoin. The work was expedited when Facebook unveiled its vision for Libra in June 2019, a global digital currency to facilitate payments. The Libra announcement rattled governments around the world, spurring congressional hearings in the United States and bold new thinking by central bankers such as Bank of England Governor Mark Carney. The recent public course from Moo revealed more details about CBDC. The course was divided into eight lectures focusing on Libra's characteristics and impact, the exploration of China's central bank, the principles and characteristics of blockchain technology, and the perspective of financial authorities. Moo pointed out that Libra does not adopt pure blockchain technology, but uses a hybrid architecture, so it cannot be regarded as a cryptocurrency based on blockchain technology. Whenever the CBDC launches, the central bank may not roll it out nationwide on day one. And yeah, I would suspect that they won't. But nation state level shitcoinery at its finest, people. (laughs) Wesley Snipes is launching a tokenized $25 million movie fund. This is also by Marie Hilliot writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Liechtenstein Crypto Assets Exchange is tokenizing a $25 million movie fund together with renowned Hollywood actor Dr. Wesley Snipes. 
doctor? What, when did that happen? The news was reported by Cointelegraph off Deutsch on September the 9th. Dr. Snipes is an American actor, film producer, mar- master martial artist, and author known for his role as the Marvel Comics character Blade in the Blade film trilogy, as well as for films such as New Jack City, Major League, White Men Can't Jump, Passenger 57, and my favorite, Demolition Man. I, I, that movie, campy as hell, but it's a great flick. If you haven't seen Demolition Man, you you got to see. You got to take the time. It's 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 not three hours long. It, it's worth it. It's completely worth it. Continuing on, according to the report, the partners aim to launch a fully compliant security token offering (STO) via LCX's Liechtenstein-based platform and blockchain infrastructure. The tokenized twenty-five million. Dollar Daywalker Movie Fund will invest in future movies and TV shows produced by Dr. Snipes and his production studio, Mandy House, M-A-A-N-D-I, Mandy. Hmm. Launching an STO will reportedly lower the bar- the entry barriers for both institutional and retail investors, enabling movie fans to invest alongside established Hollywood producers. The DMF token will offer investors a share in the profits of the fund's production, as well as conferring extra benefits such as innovations to movie, oh, invitations to movie premieres. All profits will be reinvested in the DMF token to boost its long-term value. DMF will be managed by an investment committee of professional fund managers alongside Dr. Snipes. LCX's blockchain technology platform will not only host the STO, but handle registration and identity verification of all prospective investors. Dr. Snipes has described the tokenized fund model as a means to enable movie fans to become indirect co-producers of forthcoming features. Hollywood level shit coinery here. Pre-registration is open on the LX on the LCX site with registered users having or to have priority when the STO is formally launched. In October of 2018, Cointelegraph reported that the actor and producer Johnny Depp had partnered with crypto-powered social entertainment platform Tata Two to jointly create and produce film and digital content together. Tata Tata Ta or Tata 2, I guess, focused on uh, combating privacy and improving transparency for rights holders, as well as on assisting high-quality brand advertising using distributed ledger technologies. In May of 2018, actor and investor Ashton Kutcher donated $4 million in RippleCoin to Ellen DeGeneres' Wildlife Fund, saying the technology enabled him to do away with the big giant check thing. And how's that working out for you there, Ellen? Because XRP is, as usual in the perpetual toilet. Okay. Um, this is, this is just, I'm telling you, man, this is like entertainment corporate level shit coinery. It's going to happen. Just, you know what? Just let it happen. But, but be aware that this kind of, uh, kind of, uh, chicanery is going on. And I, I think it's funny that, uh, Cointelegraph failed to mention that, that Dr. Snipes was in prison for evading taxes. So that yeah, that I I I like Wesley Snipes, I really do, but this is just no. This this is a big no for me. Uh incoming European Central Bank president is open to cryptocurrencies. This is Colin Harper writing on September the fifth for Bitcoin magazine. Christine Lagarde 
who has been nominated by European governments to replace sitting European Central Bank President Mario Draghi, appears kinder to the burgeoning cryptocurrency industry than her predecessor. In a statement issued to the Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee of the European Parliament, the former managing director of the International Monetary Fund laid out her guiding philosophy and game plan for how she will govern if her nomination is ratified. In the speech, the EU Central Bank's nominee briefly touched on the topic of innovative technologies including cryptocurrency, and her touch was gentler than most. Quote, in this environment, central banks and supervisors need to ensure the safety of the financial sector, but also be open to the opportunities provided by change. In quote, Lagarde's statement reads, quote, in the case of new technologies, including digital currencies, that means being alert to risks in terms of financial stability, privacy, and criminal activities, and ensuring appropriate regulation is in place to steer technology towards the public good. But It also means recognizing the wider social benefits from innovation and allowing them space to develop, end quote. Along with championing championing the social benefits of Bitcoin and the like, her stated approach appears to veer toward cooperation with cryptocurrency companies, a friendlier stance compared to that of many of her peers in the EU and abroad. It's certainly a stark pivot from the current European Central Bank president's own, quote, at this point in time, cryptocurrencies are not significant enough in their entity that they could affect our economies in a macro way, end quote, Draghi said in a Q&A earlier this year. Lagarde thinks differently. In an interview with CNBC, she acknowledged that Bitcoin and its cohorts have already begun to disrupt the, the legacy financial system. Quote, I think the role of the disruptors and anything that is using distributed ledger technology, whether you call it crypto, assets, currencies, or whatever, that is clearly shaking the system, she said. We don't want innovation that would shake the system so much that we would lose the stability that is needed. No, you spelt control wrong. That's what you did there. Stability is not the word that that you spelt stability. You wanted to spell control. Continuing, Maddie Greenspan, a senior analyst at eToro, wrote in an email blast to clients that Lagarde, quote, is incredibly crypto friendly and that her appointment as the EU central bank's head should be welcome news to the industry. At the very least, Lagarde recognizes that Bitcoin is not a technology to be ignored, but one to be fostered. This comes at a time when governments around the world are waking up to the potential of Bitcoin and as some organizations like the G7s, a financial action task force, are recommending stringent regulations to keep it and its users in check. It's because they just can't envision a world without control. They don't know what it looks like and they're very, very scared of it. So, and they know they can't beat it. This is what this is the the narrative that I'm starting to hear uh, is that that they understand that they can't beat this shit, and that somehow or another they're going to maintain they're going to maintain their control by f- being friendly to cryptocurrency. And what they're going to do is they're going to be friendly to everything but Bitcoin because only Bitcoin is the is the disruptor. Everything else is going to be subsumed by nation-state-level shitcoinery or huge corporate-level shitcoinery. And while all the bag holders, are, will, will, as they always do, will cheer and cheer and cheer, Bitcoin will just continue burning down the world. So, yeah, that's why this... Whenever you hear this, just think that it's at least possible 
that Lagarde, like statements that Lagarde's making that should be fostered is possible bullshit. Okay. I consider it bullshit, but I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think so. All right. Last up is, uh, NetKey retools, digital ID service for FATF's new crypto travel rule. This is Coindesk's Nathan DiCamillo writing as of this morning. NetKey has upgraded its digital identity service to help cryptocurrency firms meet tough new international standards for combating money laundering. They always go for that. Announced Monday, the upgrade to Transact ID adds two new features. features. The, one, the ability to break down certificates of a user's identity into smaller pieces of personally identifiable information and the ability for senders and receivers of money to request personally identifiable in, information from each other. Quote, before there was like one large atomic transaction where each side shared all of the information about each other and with each other. Justin Newton, CEO of NetKey, told Coindesk, quote, now the protocol allows for a more of a conversation where each side can request and share individual pieces of identity information with each other, end quote. The change comes in response to recommendations released in June by the Financial Action Task Force, an intergovernmental body devoted to fighting money laundering and terrorism financing. They require, quote, virtual asset service providers or VASPs, including crypto exchanges to pass information about their customers to one another when transferring funds between firms. So law enforcement has an information trail while FATF standards aren't binding. It's 37 member countries are expected to put them into practice through regulation or legislation. And the organization gave them 12 months to do so. Indeed. I'm sorry. I just stumbled hardcore on that. Hold on for a sec. Let's read that sentence one more time. While FATF standards are not binding, its 37 member countries are expected to put them into practice through regulation or legislation, and the organization gave them 12 months to do so. So standards aren't binding, and yet you've got to get it done in 12 months. So exactly what is the FATF? Exactly how binding are their standards not binding? That's bullshit. Continuing, indeed, even before the FATF guidance dropped, the U.S. Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN, stated that the travel rule, in quotes, already applied to crypto exchanges just as long, just as it long has for other financial institutions. Transact ID was originally designed primarily with the U.S. in mind, but now that FATF has applied the travel rule to crypto, NetKey has made the product customizable to account for differences in how countries interpret the guidance. For example, the Swiss regulator FINMA last month extended this requirement to transactions between regulated exchanges and unregulated personal wallets going further than other countries that only applied it to exchange to exchange transfers. Even in the U.S., NetKey claims there's now a stronger impetus to comply. Recently, the United States FinCEN agency had begun enforcement actions against VASPs who are not in compliance, it said in a press release. 
there have been a couple of meetings that I've been at uh, that were around the FATF guidance and travel rule where lawyers from top firms representing companies in this space have said that they have multiple clients that are undergoing FinCEN enforcement actions related to the travel rule, Newton said. Transact ID uses open source standards that encrypt peer-to-peer exchanges, exchange of identity information between parties before transacting. NetKey claims its technology can do this while maintaining the integrity of the blockchain on which the transactions take place. Specifically, Transact ID uses X.509 certificates, a standard commonly used for validating ownership of websites to exchange identity information. NetKey says it picked the decades-old standard because it's widely recognized by governmental and regulatory agencies as a legally valid form of identification. Since the certificates are used in NetKey's solution to identify the sender and receiver in a transaction, VASP don't need to establish a relationship with either party, the company says. For companies that use NetKey for their know-your-customer process, certificates cost around a buck per user or less, Newton said. The service is also built on the Bitcoin improvement proposal, BIP75, developed by NetKey and wallet provider BreadWallet in 2016. BIP75 is a peer-to-peer protocol based on open standards available for anyone to use and compatible with custodial and non-custodial wallets. So, I, you know, I got mixed feelings about this. Uh, nobody really needs to know what you're, why you're transacting. Okay. This is one of the reasons a lot of us got into this whole thing and they're going to try and try and they're going to do their level best to make sure that everything, because control, that everything is controlled because just because control exists, apparently it has to be exercised. I, I guess, I don't know. I, I, I find it kind of odd that you would wake up one day and go, I just feel the need to be in a position to control everybody else. I'm trying to figure out what kind of psychology lives in a diseased mind like that. But nonetheless, I've said it before that blockchain doesn't work for almost anything because it's horribly inefficient. It takes a lot of resources to make sure that it's secure. And it really only works for a couple of things. One is money. Two, I do actually think it is identity. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm a proponent of putting all your shit on the blockchain. I, I'm not. But it's the only other thing that I can think of that really works. Having a blockchain that identifies where your apples came from is complete bullshit. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. And that's going to do it for your morning roundup. All right, Vital Statistics, again, bitinfocharts.com. It's a great resource for all this stuff. We've got a price of Bitcoin at $10,342.58. It looks like we've got a low over at, God, where's the low? I just saw it. Oh, hit BTC is all the way down to 10320 Actually, I, I shouldn't say all the way down. That's a pretty tight, pretty tight range between exchanges. And I'm not seeing a whole hell of a lot of fluctuations. I got 10, 10,323, I got 326, I got 325, I got 330, I got 342, and I got 320. That's pretty tight. I, and somehow or another, it makes me feel good. Uh, over the last 24 hours, we've had 307,500 transactions performed. Uh, 12,800 transactions are on 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 the per hour average. 
We have had 825,000 BTC sent over the last 24 hours with an average sent per hour of 34,400. Average transaction value is 2.69 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.017 BTC or about 172 bucks or about half of the 300 that I like to see. Block time is low. Talking really low, man. Eight minutes and 37 damn seconds. It's averaging seven blocks per hour where it should actually be averaging eight. Um, it looks like 0.16 BTC have been taken in fees on a per block basis. 27, uh, 27 and a half BTC have been taken overall in the last 24 hours. Hash rate is at 93.2 exahashes per second. That is a gain in 24 hours of 12.26%. 93 exahashes per second. That's yet another all-time high. Things are going crazy in the mining world for Bitcoin, man. This is just... This, what's going on with the rest of them? Let's see here. I'm just, I, I don't normally do this, but we've got... We've got decre- like a 5% decrease in the in Bcash's hash rate. We've got a 2% decrease in Ethereum's hash rate. We've got a rise of 2% in Litecoin. And sadly, we've got to also have a rise in of 0.67 in, in BSV, but whatever, it's bullshit. Um, hell, even Dogecoin has a rise in hash rate. 6% in the last 24 hours. My what the hell? This is weird, man. And Ethereum Classic is, well, has lost 3%. Uh, across the board, oh, wait, wait. First of all, GitHub uh, last commit was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 181. Bcash is at 304. Litecoin is at 69. BSV is at 131. Ethereum Classic is at six and a half. Dogecoin has lost even more ground, going all the way down to 0.0025. 26,000 transactions does not even trounce Litecoin's 27,000 or 27,693. Mempool, how deep are we? We are six blocks deep in the mempool with 5,580 unconfirmed transactions. All blocks are over one megabyte as usual. That's going to do it for your vital statistics. We're going to do another one from Gary Newman, uh, kind of continue the theme a little bit. This is, uh, I'm not going to do a, another Gary Newman song this, this week, but this, this is good. This is good tunage right here. Also the fact that he's coming back up in his career, he's like updating all of his, all of his songs. So in the seventies and, uh, eighties or whatever, yeah, techno music and electronic music sounded pretty thin. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that there's just no bottom end in elect, you know, in uh, in the early, you know, synthesizers and drum machines and and everything that was being used. Consequently, you get these it's really thin. It's really thin recording. Not so with this one. This is uh this is live Gary Newman. It was done a few years back with you know, with his new band and well, here it is. Oh, 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 oh,
listen, I'm alone. Now I can think for myself. And about little deals and best use, the things that I just don't understand. Like a white light at night, or a sly touch at times. No, I don't think it meant anything to you.
Today's Daily Train Wreck brought to you by me. I am the train wrecked. Why? Because I can't use lolly properly, apparently. <clears throat> yeah, let, let, let take you back a couple of months, uh, beginning of the summer. Uh, I wanted to try out lolly <clears throat> when because I, I, you know, that's when they first hit, hit my radar screen. And ever since they've have been and still are, it's not their fault. I'm, I'm the one that's the train wreck. It's not lolly. Um, I, I, you know, has been a favorite company of mine. I, I love the way that they maneuver. And I reported on the other day uh, that they had gained a guitar center as a customer. And I had been in, I've been in the market for uh, analog to digital interface because I want to, you know, start playing guitar again. So I activated Lolly on, on the guitar center and, and I, you know, I thought I had all my information in there. Correct. And of course I did. I mean, I, and, and what I did is I, I wanted to order it online so that I could go pick it up in the store because if I just went out and bought it at Guitar Center, I wouldn't be able to get sats back from from Lolly. Okay. Um, so earlier in the summer, I did the same thing at Ace, and I screwed it all up because and I can't even exactly remember what happened, but I bought like a four hundred dollar uh, lawnmower, and it's a it's good it's a great lawnmower, man. It's a I can't remember the name of it right now. It's Husqvarna. Husqvarna, it's a, yeah, Husqvarna, it's like Denmark or something like that. Swedish, I think. Anyway, I'm sorry, guys, I didn't mean to get off track. Um, I had to cancel that order because something went wrong, and I wasn't sure, I'm not exactly sure, I, I or I can't exactly remember what went wrong, but what I do remember is I had to cancel that order because of that. I didn't get sats back from Lolly because it was a canceled order. You know, it's not their fault that I did, that I screwed up. Okay. So here, you know, coming back to this weekend, I did the exact same stupid shit on Friday. And this time it was even worse. I did everything right. I had Lolly activated on the Guitar Center website. I uh, made sure that I, you know, had the, the unit that I wanted. Okay. And not order something else, you know, or like a, a different model. You know, I had all, you know, made sure all the specs specifications were the ones that I wanted and I hit buy, had my credit card in there, hit buy. And the last thing that I remember before the cha- the screen changed <clears throat> to uh, confirm your purchase is confirmed is that I somehow or another had selected the Lubbock store and not the Amarillo store. God, you know, just don't be me. You know, I mean, I thought I had everything in there because I had, I had had what happened. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is what happened. I had had all my information in there and then I had to walk away from my computer. Um, and I had absolutely selected the Amarillo store. When I came back to my computer, I, I, I think I hit F5 or something like that and ended up having to re-enter all my information again. For some reason, I thought the store had, had remained the same and I don't know why. I don't know why it's, def- you know, well, I, I know why it's defaulting to, to Lubbock because that was Lubbock was where I lived the last time that I was idiot enough to allow any website to quote unquote, know my location. Every time I see it now, I'm like, no, no, you don't get to know Dick. Well, this is what happens. 
you take control of privacy and all of a sudden a whole other level of bullshit comes into play. So I had to cancel that order and I had to do it on the phone with the guitar center people who are very nice and very efficient at doing it, but they don't have their, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be able to claim those Satoshis uh, because the order was canceled on the website. And even if I did get Satoshis from it, uh, yeah, I would, you know, I, I, I would somehow or another have to give it back to, to Lolly. Um, but like the same thing is going to end up happening to me with this purchase as it did to the Ace Hardware purchase, where because of my idiocy, because I wasn't, you know, on, on, on the ball and looking at every single thing, I got hosed out of some Satoshis and I'm really, <laughs> I just feel so wrecked on that one. Cause I, you know, it was about $150 purchase and you know, it's like, you're getting three point, I think with a guitar center, it's like 3.2 to 4.5% back. That's the deal they negotiated with guitar center. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile over there in the corner, which is me. Okay, uh, Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by N.S. Kinsella or Stephen Kinsella. It's N.S. Kinsella on uh, Twitter. Two cannibals are eating a clown. One says, does this taste funny to you? I'd heard that one before, and it was just as funny then as it is now. Or disturbingly atrocious, depending on your point of view about terrible jokes. You know me. I love a terrible joke, and that was yours. So uh, we'll go ahead and punch out of episode number 135 of Bitcoin. And uh, wow, Monday shows are always rough, man. <laughs> it's just, just the way it is. But um, I hope you found it useful. If you enjoyed this, it'd be nice to get some like some five-star reviews over there on the uh, podcast uh, on iTunes. Uh, it would really help me out, man. I, I've seen it help out a lot of other people, uh, and it seems to really work. It would be just freaking cool if you guys could could do that. Um, and at, well, I'll. Other than that, man, I guess I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.